Well, good morning again, family. But I'm just glad that we're here again this morning and together and able to open the Word of the Lord. Would you join me? Let's come to the, the Lord as we uh, and ask His blessing as we look into His Word. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that You loved us so much as we've been focusing this morning as we uh, are in this season of Advent. As we remember what a great gift You have given to us by sending Your Son to be our Savior, to bring us, to rescue us out of sin, out of condemnation, to bring us into Your family, to give to us eternal life, to give to us new life now. So much we have this morning as we have touched on it in song and in Scripture. And, and uh, we're just in awe. Now as we come here to this passage of Scripture here in Thessalonians, and we, 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 we come asking that You would teach us this morning, teach us about Yourself, teach us about ourselves, Use Your Word to do a work and to draw us near to You. To change us, transform us from the inside out. Give us hearts that are eager to learn, ears that are attentive to listen. Father, give grace and strength to this weak voice to speak clearly Your truth that we might indeed meet with You this morning and be changed. So we ask in the name of Jesus, Amen. And I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to the book of 1 Thessalonians. As we come in chapter 5, we are, as we noted a couple of weeks ago, we're in the fourth quarter, less than two minutes on the clock and... Uh, Quarterback Paul, as he comes to the conclusion of this little letter he's writing, he's wasting not, a, not any time, no line on the page, rapid-fire instructions, command he's putting out here to this little church. We noted as we began a couple of weeks ago in verse 11, as we looked at these last verses and there are 22 commands from verses 11 to 28. Two weeks ago, we, we noted in verses 11 to 15, commands that deal with how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. Last week in my absence, Pastor Aaron very wonderfully led us through verses 16 through 18 that deal with our attitudes, our continual pattern of living. Recalls us to rejoice always where He calls us to pray without ceasing. And He calls for us to give thanks in all circumstances. Today, in verses, we'll look at verses 19 to 22. You've probably noticed that Americans tend to be preoccupied with health and trying to be more healthy. At least we give it lip service. I, I would venture to say most of us in this room this morning, over the last 
year, we have given some thought, if not some action, to try to eat a little more healthy. We maybe have given some thought or taken a little action to eat just a little less. And we've given maybe some thought and maybe a little action to getting a little more exercise. Maybe you've done all of those. Maybe you haven't done any. But I noted, I was reading this week, and I read that last year, 2017, Americans spent over $30 billion on health clubs and fitness centers. That's not building them. That's membership dues and fees that we paid. And yet 66% of Americans are still overweight. I'm not sure what that says. Except that we, we pay a lot of service, lip service to it. We think about it a lot, but we're not doing a whole lot about it. Well, here as we come to this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded that the Bible speaks about how our spiritual health is of far greater value and far more importance than our physical health. And yet, while most of us give thought to our physical health, I dare say an awful lot of believers give little, if any, thought to their spiritual health. These verses before us this morning, if we combine them with what we looked at last week with Pastor Aaron, if we take those three commands and the five commands that are here in these verses this morning, I believe that they will form for us so that they make a very nice, well-rounded package for developing spiritual health. So let's look. Let's just read through these verses before us this morning. Pick it up in verse 19, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Five commands in just these few little verses. First command, do not quench the Spirit. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The very one that if you, I'm sure most of you know as a believer in Jesus Christ, all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ this morning, the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, indwelling us. Paul wrote the Corinthians, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You're here as a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, the born, one who has trusted Jesus, been born again. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The question is then, according to this verse though, and by the way, the word quench, the, quench, the word quench is a word that means to extinguish, like to extinguish a flame, to take water and to douse a fire. And so it raises the question, how... Do we, as believers who have the Holy Spirit living in us, how do we extinguish, how do we douse the fire of the Holy Spirit in our life? 
What in the world does Paul mean by that? That's a great question to ask. These little commands are powerful. Each one of these commands in these verses are just a few words long. So they're easy to memorize. And the impact of them, every one of them is just loaded with stuff. But it also presents a problem because when you come to something like this, where he says, do not quench the Spirit, and we kind of scratch our head and say, what does he mean? There's not a lot there to tell us what he means. How is it that we quench the Spirit? Many, actually most commentators, if you read in a commentary or if you listen to most sermons on this passage, what you will typically hear is that this is addressing some problem among the Thessalonian believers. It's addressing a situation where in, in some way or another, these believers have been interfering with, they've been holding back, they've been pushing against the manifestation of some of the workings of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit working in the church. So, And that's how they've been quenching the Holy Spirit. And the next thing that Paul says is don't despise prophecy. And they would say that that's an example of one of the gifts that this church has somehow been hindering or pushing back against. And I would say that that is a very possible meaning of this text. Maybe what he's saying, but I've struggled with this passage all week. And I don't really believe that that's what Paul is saying here. See, I think that if there was a problem with some misunderstanding or some misuse of spiritual gifts in the church, if there was some pushing back in the church against what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in the church, Paul would have addressed this issue more substantially, even as he did with the Corinthian church that had the same problem. The Corinthian church was definitely misusing the gifts of the Spirit. They were misunderstanding their purpose and nature and use. And they were they were messing it all up. And in 1 Corinthians, you'll remember, he addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. Apostle Paul, if there's a problem here in the church, I don't think he's going to just leave it to one little obscure kind of a sentence tucked in at the end of the book as he's doing these little you know, Hail Mary passes of commands. So I think that's just not a good explanation of what he means. So as I said at the beginning, I think it's better to see these commands here as well as the ones that we looked at last week really as a series of commands that Paul is giving more generally to all of us as believers that affect our overall spiritual health, our overall spiritual walk, our living with and for Christ. And with that perspective, don't quench the Spirit, I think has a little broader meaning. And it simply means not to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Not to hinder, not to impede, not to in any way prevent or get in the way of the Holy Spirit's work. So that raises the question, what's the Holy Spirit doing 
that we would get in the way of? And how would we get in the way of it? The first question we have to answer then is, what is the Holy Spirit trying to do? That's a great question. What is the Holy Spirit trying to do? And I suppose the answers to that could be many. We could go through the New Testament and find all kinds of things the Holy Spirit is seeking to do. But I think the best answer to that question would be to look at, does Paul say anything in this book about what the Holy Spirit is doing? And in fact, he does. And I think that gives us the best answer to what he has in mind. Go back to chapter 1. You'll find in and that the Holy Spirit is working in chapter 1, verse 5, where He says, Our Gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You recall some number of weeks ago when we studied that, that passage, we looked back at Acts chapter 1 because you'll remember very well, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He's talking to the disciples. And as He speaks to the disciples, He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What's the purpose of that power that is going to come through the Holy Spirit? And what He says is, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be My what? witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Judea, I should say, and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of the reasons that the Holy Spirit has come, one of His purposes, is to give power for the purpose of spreading the Gospel, of evangelism, of doing the work of being witnesses for Jesus Christ or to advance the Gospel. So one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit, one of the things He desires to do in us and through us is to advance the spread of the Gospel. In the very next verse, Paul speaks again about the Holy Spirit. And he says, verse 6, chapter 1, he says, You received the Word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that when you heard the Gospel, you received it even though there was much affliction, there was persecution, there was trouble, and you did it with joy. I'm reminded as I read that that one of the great works that the Holy Spirit desires to do, we find through the rest of Scripture, is He is working to grow in us, to develop in us godly characteristics, godly qualities. One of the best passages, of course, that you, you might think of when you hear this is Galatians chapter 5, where he talks of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, what develops from the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Holy Spirit wants to develop and grow in us godly characteristics. Chapter 4, the Apostle again talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of these believers. In verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Then down in verse 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. In other words, He's called us to sanctification, to holiness, to purity. And that's why He has given us the Holy Spirit. When we 
work against that, when we go against that, we are not disregarding man, but we're disregarding God whose Spirit is at work in us to sanctify us. Again, we can see that in other places in Scripture, but just in this, in this book, Paul has mentioned three things that God is looking to do through His Spirit. To advance the Gospel through us. To produce godly qualities in us. And to make us holy. To sanctify us. So then comes the question, if that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us, then how do we quench the Spirit? Well, we can say we go against that. We don't cooperate. We could say lots of things. The verse doesn't elaborate. So this is purely my opinion. Okay? But I think this is where Paul is going with this. I think what he's saying, in effect, is don't ignore the Holy Spirit's prompting. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit to us, and there are many that are listed in Scripture, but one of the ministries to the whole, of the Holy Spirit to us and in us is that He leads us. Paul says that to the Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Or to turn it around, those who are sons of God, God leads by His Spirit. How does God lead us? Well, of course, He leads us through Scripture. We'll talk about that in a moment. I believe the Scripture is clear. He often leads us simply by prompting, moving us in our spirit. And to quench the Holy Spirit's work in this way means to ignore His leading his prompting. Ray Stedman, a great pastor and author who went home to the Lord about 30 years ago, put it better than I can. I quote what he said. He said, The Spirit's promptings always come in one of two areas. Stop what is doing wrong or, or and start doing what is right. One of those two things. Stop doing this. Start, start doing this. If you are a Christian, you are familiar with the inner feeling that says, God wants you to do something, or God wants you to stop doing something. We have all, true believers, felt this inner guidance. And what the Apostle is saying is, give in to those feelings. When the Spirit prompts you to show love to someone, do it and don't hold back. End quote. In other words, if you sense that something is wrong, don't go there. Paul writes that to the Romans when he says that whatever is not a faith is sin. When they're talking about doubtful things, if you have doubts that something is right, don't go there. If you have a feeling that you ought to do something good, do it. You feel that you probably ought to write a card to missionary, so-and-so, then get a card and write it. You realize you haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Think I ought to give them a call. Well, then pick up the phone. Give them a call. Or go by and see them. 
You see that stranger that's there that appears to have some need or that seems to be lonely and you think, I ought to go talk to them. I ought to go help them. Get going. Or you're there getting your hair cut and you think, you know, I ought to be talking to my barber about Jesus. Then open your mouth. Talk to him about Jesus. Or you're sitting here in church and you think, as you look around and you think, you know, I ought to go work in the nursery. That's a crazy thought. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever it was. No, maybe you should sign up. <laughs> As I was growing up, my pastor used to say frequently, said, follow your good impulses. He'd always clarify that. Not just your impulses. <laughs> so that'll get you into lots of trouble. And follow your good impulses. There's always that question, if I have a feeling, is this feeling from the Lord or is it just, you know, I ate too much for lunch or whatever. And he said, if it's a good impulse, the worst thing I can do is something good. I thought that was pretty good advice. And as a young man, I began to start to try to listen when I'd have a good impulse. I've learned over the years that when I get that impulse, I should call someone. I should go see someone. I should pray for someone. If I don't do it, invariably a week or two later, I hear something about that person. I run into that person and I realize, I knew it. That was the Holy Spirit's nudge. I challenge you to listen. You know, I've noticed that when we ignore something for a while, we, after a while, don't notice it at all. There's some TV commercials for air fresheners. They, they show, they say, this is your car. And you think it smells like, you know, flowers and whatever. But when your friends get in the car, they smell, and then they show pictures of all these dogs and everything, right? You think your house smells really awesome and you know, your room, but when your friends come in, what they smell is dirty socks and sweaty gym clothes. They say, you've gone nose blind. I think there's a tendency for you and me to go spirit blind. He nudges us. He prompts us. And we are to listen. I think that's what He's saying when He says, don't quench the Spirit. Be sensitive when your conscience tingles. <laughs> I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't do that. Listen to that little nudge, that little twinge, and go, I shouldn't go there. Or when there's that prompting, there's someone who has a need. You know, invite your neighbor to church next week. By the way, Christmas season, best time of the year to invite people to church. By the way, Almost half of people who are invited to church, survey says, almost half of people who are invited to church will go. 
bring him to the choir program in a couple of weeks. Follow that little nudge the Spirit prompts. Second thing he says is don't despise prophecy. Don't despise prophecies. Despise means to devalue something, to consider it worthless, meaningless, to regard it as nothing. Prophecies is a word, though, that I think we need to talk about just a moment. Because typically, if I say prophecies, what comes in your mind is probably what comes in my mind. When I hear of prophecy, I think of somebody getting a revelation from God and maybe talking about, you know, in the future something's going to happen, right? That's what first comes to our mind. But And this word that here, prophecy, prophetos, can, and can mean that. It can include that. But it's a much broader word. Literally, the word means what God has said. In the Scriptures, this word prophecy often refers simply to what we would today call preaching. Declaring and explaining God's truth from the Word of God. Other times in the Bible, I can think of Second Peter chapter 1 where it talks and uses the word prophecy as a synonym, as another word for the written Word of God. The common denominator all the way through this is this word prophecy is referring to the Word of God, what God has said. And so what he says is don't despise, don't belittle, don't think little of the Word of God. Don't devalue it. Don't consider it worthless. And I would venture to say that probably no one in this room this morning would go, I think the Word of God is just kind of, you know, a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, useless stuff. You guys aren't going to say that. Most of you would probably say, no, actually, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it's infinitely valuable. Then I ask that penetrating little question, do your attitudes and actions back up what you say? Or if we really could look into your heart and into your life and into your priorities, do you regard the Word of God as worth very little? There are times probably when all for all of us when the honest answer is it hasn't had much of a priority or value in my life this month, this week, these days. How much do we value God's Word? Job said, I have treasured the words of His mouth. Speaking of the Word of God, I've treasured the words of His mouth more than my daily bread. Do you think God's God's Word is worth more than food? It's about noon. We're thinking food. (laughs) Pastor, when are you going to wrap this up? (laughs) Job says, I'll sit here all day, man. And that's good because I've got a lot to say. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Actually, we're almost done, really. (laughs) Less than a page of notes left. That's, That's good news. Four essentials to valuing God's Word very quickly. If we're going to value God's Word, if we're really going to place some value on it, if we're not going to treat it lightly, four things that need to be 
a part of our response to the Word of God. First is, we need to believe it. The Apostle Paul commended these very same folks for the fact that they believed the Word of God over in chapter 1. Back in chapter 1 he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. Man, when you guys heard it, you didn't say, Oh, there's a preacher. Oh, got to listen. What? No. You guys heard it and you said, that's the Word of God. He latched on to it. He believed it. second thing we need to do is we need to read it, to study it. And not like the way that most of us went to school. Let's be honest. Okay, let's how most of us went to school. Most of us did not go to school to get an education. Right? Most of you went to school the same way I did, to get through the class, hopefully with a passing grade so you could graduate and get it done. There's probably one of you in here that went for an education. There's always one. (laughs) Shows up the rest of us, okay? But the way we're to come to Scripture is not like we went to school. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to read the Bible. I need an education. I'm ignorant of who I am, of how this universe works, of who God is. And one of the main reasons the Scripture tells us that God has given the Scripture, that He has given His Word, is so that He has revealed Himself through it so that we can know Him. We come to the Scripture to get to know God. And so, it should transform how we come to the Scripture. So we don't come mindlessly. We don't come lazily. We make it a priority. We do, as as Paul wrote to Timothy, We do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the Word of truth. We correctly handle it. We know this book. We know what it says. We dig into it. third thing we need to do if we're going to treat God's Word with great value is we need to obey it. As James says, James 1.22, we are to be doers of the Word, not just hearers only who deceive themselves. Like that person, he goes on to say, who looks in a mirror and then he turns away and immediately he forgets what he saw in the mirror and he does nothing about it. So his hair is out of place, his teeth are dirty, his shirt's buttoned wrong, and he walks away and does nothing about it. The man is a fool and he says, so it is for us. If we, we come to church and we, are we on our own, we dig into the Word and we read it and we just walk away and it makes no difference in our life. We belittle the Word of God when we ignore it. We belittle, we think nothing of the Word of God when we know it says this and we do that. Lastly, if we're going to think highly of God's Word, then we need to share it. 
see what we treasure, we talk about. The things that really matter to us, the things that are really valuable to us, we talk about them. We share them with others because this is great stuff. Last week when gas was $2.30-something cents everywhere and I found it for $1.87, I called five people. Hey, you won't believe it! And I thought as I was making the fifth phone call, huh, why did I do that when I discover something in the Word of God? Why am I not that eager to share the Word of God? It shows I don't value it so much. I value the dollar. It cut me. Thirdly, he says, test everything. I'll be very quick, honestly. Test everything, verse 21. Test, that's a word used to describe the genuineness of a coin. You check to see what's valuable and what isn't, he says. In recent years, as my parents have got, grew older and then as they passed away, I've spent a lot of time going through my parents' things. I've learned you have to go through them carefully. Because right where all the things are that you think are of no value in that little box where there's a, this worthless bunch of costume jewelry and you're just ready to throw it all into the giveaway or throwaway pile. You know, that's the two piles. And then there's a little keep pile. And you're about to throw it in the, one of those other piles and you just have, oh, I better go through these. And there you find in the midst of that stuff, there's this one little bracelet and you, you have to get a magnifying glass to look, but there on the little clasp it says 18K. Gold in the hills. And then in the box of all the jewelry, you'll find there's brass. It's worthless trinket. He says, test everything because in this world there's a lot of junk. What does he mean when he says test everything? Well, he might mean don't be gullible certainly applies to what we hear being proclaimed in the name of Christ. If you've ever looked around, listened around, what you realize is there's a lot of nonsense, there's a lot of foolishness that's proclaimed in the name of Jesus. We need to know the Word of God well enough that we can spot the errors. We need to know the Word of God well enough that we can detect the counterfeits. It's not just the job of the pastor or the elders. It is, it is all of us should be able to do that. I'm reminded that as we look at all this foolishness around, that if 40 million people believe something stupid, it's still stupid. Just saying. Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul commends the Bereans. The Bereans were the next town that he went to. When he left Thessalonica, he went to Berea. In Acts chapter 17, he says of those Bereans, he says, these folks were even more noble, even better than the folks in Thessalonica. And he has high things to say about them. But he says, because these folks searched the Scriptures daily to see if whether these things were so. They listened to Paul preach and they'd go back and they'd pull out the Scriptures and they'd say, wait, wait, let's see. I hope you do that every Sunday when you go home. Hope you say, man, what I heard in Sunday school today, what I heard in church today, I'm going to dig just to see if he got it right. And I hope if you ever find I got it wrong, you come and talk to me. I'm a man. I'm fallible. I don't claim to have it all right, but I work hard. I strive to try to get it right. Because I believe 
we need to rightly divide the word, as Paul said to Timothy. But I notice he says not only are we not to be gullible, we're to be discerning. I don't think that's all he's saying here because you notice he doesn't say just test teaching, test the pastor, check the, the radio preacher. What he says is test, what's the next word? Oh, everything. You know, it's a big word. You know, when you translate that word from the Greek, you know what it means? Everything. And it means it encompasses everything. Suddenly I realize what we're supposed to be testing, what we're supposed to be evaluating, brothers and sisters, is everything in your life. Not just what you're hearing on Sunday morning, not just what you hear out there, but you're supposed to be testing what you do with your time. What we do with our money. What we do in the dailies of life. We're supposed to be evaluating it for what? Well, looking for what's genuine and not. Looking for what's valuable and not, or not valuable. Looking for what's of eternal worth or of no worth. Evaluating everything in our life. This is to be a daily thing. Why am I doing this? I've been doing this every day for 20 years. You know, I don't want to go, you know, stomp it on anybody's toes, but we start talking about what's valuable. What we realize is it starts to deal with, you know, am I spending 10 hours a day watching TV or surfing the internet or playing video games or watching sports? Am I wasting time on stuff that is of very little value? The next two commands come right after this and deal with this. It says once we test everything, then he says, and by the way, I'd say what he means by that is we're to be living intentionally. Instead of just going through life, coasting through, doing with just whatever happens, whatever goes along, whatever I feel like doing. It's living intentionally. Going for the good stuff. And that brings the next command where he says, cling to the good. Hold fast to that which is good. When we come upon those things that are good and right and true, when we come upon those things that are of lasting value, of eternal value, of great consequence, we are to hold tightly to those things, to grip them and hang on. We're to invest more resources in those types of things. When we realize something's valuable, You know, we've been watching stocks plummet, thinking, oh, I should have got out of that stuff. I hear things, when we look in things of eternal value, that's where to invest. Not just our money, our time, everything. Then he says, shun the evil. Abstain from every form of evil. Separate yourself from it. That's what abstain or shun means. In every form, what in every whatever shape it is, whatever kind it is, no matter how attractive it is, no matter how socially acceptable it is, no matter how popular it is, if it's wrong, don't buy into it. If it's against God's Word, don't do it. If God says it's sin, don't go there. 
We get this in regards to our food. You know, none of us wants a couple of drops of arsenic in our, you know, in our Coke this afternoon. None of us, and Coca-Cola, by the way, just for <laughs> clarification. <laughs> just if I have to say that. None of us wants a little bit of, uh, you know, um, some other poison in our food when we sit down to lunch in a few minutes. We get that. We want to keep that stuff as far away from what we eat and drink as possible. But with, with spiritual things, we, how tempted we are to compromise, it's just a little sin, right? And that's his point here, is there is no little sin. Compromise, even a small thing, is deadly. We are to separate ourselves from it. We are to be as, as intent and we should have as much fervor for getting sin out of our life as we do keeping poison out of our food. Well, last week, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all things, every circumstance. Today, don't quench the Spirit. Don't think lightly of God's Word. Test everything. Cling to the good. Abstain. Reject what is evil. That's how we live spiritually healthy. I don't know about you, but I've got some problems with being a couch potato. I need to get up and keep moving towards, get moving towards spiritual health. How about you? Father, practical stuff. Gets right down to where we live. All of us struggle with some of these things some of the time. These things are imperative if we're going to live with power, if we're going to live spiritually strong, if we're not going to be uh, anemic and weak. These things are Important if we're going to live a life that is productive for Jesus Christ, if we're going to live a life that is holy, if we're going to live a life that is eternally significant. These are critical things. I pray that You would help us to see areas here where we need to grow. That, Lord, we would put them before You. That we would commit ourselves and begin to act to do these things that you will cooperate because we recognize all of these are bigger than us. How we need your help. You've promised to come alongside and help. But you wait for us to move. So Father, may we move towards spiritual health. May we seek to live in these ways so we may bring honor to you that we may reap the benefits of a godly life. And most importantly, that we might then as well be a witness to those who have not heard of our Lord Jesus. It's in His name we ask it. Amen.